It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. And with me in the KFG studio is my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Well, the stock market has rebounded nicely uh, so far in 2023 and better than what most people expected. But the question is, what's driving the rally? Can it be sustained? And what changes do you need to make to your investment portfolio? Who's in charge, the bulls or the bears? That and more on this hour of wise money. Uh, speaking of animals, Kevin said he's got a, a, a hairball in his throat <laughs> yes. today. So. <laughs> so if you hear a little coughing. Uh, <laughs> or run over to the YouTube uh, channel and check it out. We'll see what, what comes up here. <laughs> if you have any questions for the program, we'd love to hear from you. You can call our Texas 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media. Wherever you're at, we are there as well. A lot of engagement comes that way, so reach out to us there. There's six areas to your financial life. There are six distinct areas to your financial life, and investment planning is one of them. Now, that gets a, a lion's share, another animal, of the, yeah. of the attention, but it's not your overall financial life. Your present financial position, your your how you manage and transfer risk, your protection planning, your tax planning, your long-term goals like retirement and college and your estate planning, they all need to be fused together as you're making great financial decisions. So, so you don't want to just focus on investments. It's, it's extremely important. It's just not the only thing. So we're going to focus on investments, though, today and give you an update on the market and things. Josh, what were you thinking? No, I was just going to comment. You, you guys weren't in the room this week when or this past week when I was with the interns. We, we've got a whole bunch of them oh, yeah. this summer. And I was asking them, you know, most of the way through the summer, what is your favorite of the six areas of financial planning? And investments was top of the list. Oh, I would have expected uh, present financial position, budgeting. <laughs> <laughs> or estate planning, you know, the exciting stuff. There, it, it's uh, it's enamoring, you yeah, know. It, of course, it's interesting. It's always changing, but I I love that you said it's not your whole financial life. Yeah, what the market does next is not the determinant on whether or not you're going to achieve your goals. Well, we're going to talk about that because all the fortune tellers were saying that they were all the prevailing opinion to start this year was, eh, first half of the year is not going to be that great, but we should start to see a recovery the second half of the year. Everyone said that. And once again, at all times, the market is working to try to prove as many people wrong as possible. It's been an unbelievable start to the year. First six months has been fantastic. And uh, and now everyone's changed their tune. They're talking about how soon will we get to all-time highs and when will the S&P hit 5,000 as if it's just automatic, going to happen. Yep. So we'll talk about in a recession risk. We'll talk about the you know the election is next year. How does that influence the market? So, but let's start with just laying the foundation where you know your investment strategy should be diversified, and those diversified components they don't all move in the same direction at the same time or the same magnitude. So through June thirtieth, where do the markets stand? Better than expected. Okay, is, yes. is how I would sum it up. In fact, I, I'm one of those guys that uh, has been proven wrong. 
If I had to make a prediction coming into this year, I was trying to brace myself and anyone who would listen. Hey, just be prepared. If we have some headwinds coming into 2023, you know, don't don't get too worked up. Don't get too emotional. Well, it hasn't been headwinds. It's been tailwinds. Most people's portfolios are performing wonderfully. Yeah. And uh, not all components, as you said, not all slices of the investment pie are performing the exact same way. Some are up huge. And pretty much if you've got U.S. stocks, yeah. especially the biggest of U.S. stocks, then you're awfully happy. The crazy thing is we, we go through and I don't have the chart in front of me, but there's this it, it oscillates back and forth between international investments outperforming U.S. and U.S. outperforming International. If you haven't seen that chart, you need to because it is it is pretty unbelievable. Well, we've had this really long stretch of U.S. outperforming international. And when you look at the underlying earnings, you would say, well, gosh, the U.S. market might be a bit expensive. International is cheap. And up until June, international was outperforming U.S. pretty handedly. And everyone was thinking, yeah, this is probably where it's going to go. You know, the markets, U.S. markets expensive, international cheap. International is probably going to outperform. And honestly, ever since the rate pause, we'll get into the, the reasons why, but the U.S. large cap stocks has just stood on end. By the end of June, markets up over 16%. That's now outpacing international. International is only up about 12. Small cap stocks are up about 8%. Um, and so really, it's it's large. It's the S&P 500 that, again, is is winning. And you don't need to win in your investment strategy by picking the one that's going to do the best. That's that's, right. that's not how I would define winning. However, if you're just if you're just stacking them up, yes, one has the the highest return. But that's what you brag about at the backyard barbecue, yeah. right? Hanging out with the neighbors, with your friends. It's you talk about your winners, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Commodities, which were the really only winner last year in 2022, <clears throat> it's down eight percent. Those have uh, stunk up the house. Fixed income, so bonds. Are well at least through June we're up two percent. They're now flat for the year, and bonds are inversely correlated with interest rates. And it's interesting. We'll get into this, but the inflation expectations have come down. Inflation data has come down. I don't know if I believe it completely, but interest rates have not come down yet, and that means bonds have sort of been flat. And so that for those of you retirees or close to retirement, you're looking and saying, well. I have a lot of dollars in bonds, and they did awful last year, and they've done nothing for me this year. You know, one of the other themes that is interesting to me, and, and this gets into a little bit of nerdy details, but if you are invested in the stock market, as I think most people should be at, at some portion of their portfolio, you've got to have the growth potential that the stock market brings, being essentially a business owner by owning a slice of American and international enterprises, right? Yep. Um, but when you are a stock investor, there's a couple different ends of the spectrum as far as philosophy that you might follow on picking those individual stocks. And this might mean nothing to you, but it does mean something to the people who are managing those dollars for you. And what I'm referring to is either being a growth investor or a value investor. And if, if you're not familiar with those terms, again, it's something that you want to understand. Value investing, most famous value investor is Warren Buffett. He's the bargain hunter amongst all bargain hunters, right? Yeah. Doesn't want to pay full price for any company. He's looking for well-established uh, businesses that are profitable and maybe out of favor. Like no, no one really wants to own them. And then growth is, is the opposite end of the spectrum where 
yeah, you're willing to pay maybe full price, maybe even a little bit of a premium if it's a company that you believe is positioned to reinvest its its profits and expand operations, it's going to have a higher stock price in the future, that kind of thing. But what you need to understand is that these two philosophies, these two approaches to investment picking, they go in and out of favor. One is often leading the other if it was a foot race between the two. And uh, right now, we're, we're back to a point where value looks cheap compared to growth. Growth is just skyrocketing. And it's some of the biggest companies in in the U.S. that are driving driving the bus right now. Well, there's seven. It's really seven companies. And if you take the – and it's been interesting because you look at different periods. With, with, with the S&P 500, so think the 500 largest companies in the U.S., those – the S&P 500 is made up of about 30% technology and about 15% healthcare. Wow. So that's about 45% of what you would call the U.S. stock market. And those those seven companies have a market capitalization. Like if you took their shares outstanding times their share price, it's about $11 trillion. So the, the numbers don't make any sense. And when those companies go on the move. And there have been times this year where the S&P 500 has a, a, a very positive return. You take out those seven companies and the S&P has a negative return. Yeah. Hmm. So it's been it's been very, very, very interesting to watch as these these companies have shot up. And I can tell you, if, if this is a show about financial planning, it makes most people not want to do planning. <laughs> it makes most people want to be financial speculators yeah. and say, wait a minute, there's there's a smart move out there for me. I'm missing it. I'm getting left behind. I need to hop on the bandwagon here somehow, somewhere. All yeah, right. So I, I want to pick back up on those that the, the top heaviness of the stock market, what that means and what it could mean out there in the future, because ultimately, where's the market going and what changes should you make, if any, to your portfolio? We're going to help you with that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The fact that so few companies have driven the majority of the rally in the stock market, should that be a concern for you? Or is that a an indicator that, no, things are just taking off? We're helping with that and more. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studio is Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel as well as a lot of other content. So make sure you go there and check it out. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to it there. And you can leave questions, comments, all that sort of stuff there as well. We appreciate it. All right, we're focusing in on on the markets today and taking a financial planning approach, but sort of dissecting what's going on, why, and then where might the market be going for the rest of the year? How do you prepare for next year with the election? Blah, blah, blah. And we left off on something called market breadth, which is very hard for me to say. Sounds like market breadth. Um, no, but it's this concept of, well, at certain points this year and for the majority of this year, Yes, the S&P 500 was positive. The U.S. stock market was positive, but it's because the S&P 500 is a cap-weighted index. Blech. What that means is Apple is worth $3 trillion now. So Apple, as one of the 500 companies in the S&P 500, that has a really big weighting 
because it's so, it's because it's so big. It's not just one five hundredths. Mm-hmm. It's based on its market value. And so when you look at you know Apple and Amazon and Google and Facebook and Tesla, they actually now how much those let's just say the top ten, the top ten companies out of five hundred, what weighting, what percentage of the overall five hundred do they make up? At the beginning of the year, it was around 25%. Today, that's amazing. it's over 32%. I believe that's close to a record. 32% of the entire stock market is made up of 10 companies. And you can dissect it further. The, you know, the five make up a disproportionate amount. So it is enormous. And you might say, well, yeah, those companies, their profit has been growing, right? So that's why their stock price has been growing. That's why they make up a bigger portion. No, their profits have not been growing. It's purely that their prices have been bid up. So that, when you've got just a couple of companies really driving the rally, that is narrow or weak or shallow market breadth. Guys, that is a classic, classic warning that a rally may not be sustained. Now, we are not forecasters, guys. You you know that. Um, but I would say that is a reason to be a bit cautious. I'm not pessimistic, but that would be a reason to be a bit cautious is, is how much, I mean, some of these names, I think I've, I think I've got it. Yeah. NVIDIA is up over 200% year to date at the time we're recording this Facebook up 160%. I don't even know what they do. What's a meta. (laughs) What's the metaverse. I I have no idea. Right. Tesla. Tesla's up 126%, Amazon up 60%, Netflix up 50%, and it turns out Netflix, hey, cracking down on password sharing didn't even work. Didn't work. Their profit shrunk, (laughs) and yet the stock's up 50% year-to-date. So it's interesting. Apple's up 50%. It's interesting. So It just points to the fact that there can be a disconnect between a stock price and the underlying business that that stock represents, right? The the business could be temporarily in a decline and the stock price could be skyrocketing just because people are bidding the price up. And I remember when I first learned about a cap weighted index and I'm like, what why? Why does it why does everything in the financial world have to not make sense? Like <laughs> like it wouldn't you just take five hundred companies? So it to me what's fascinating is through the end of June, the equal weighted S P five hundred return was seven percent yeah so the so still a great half a year sure right a, oh if you took if you took that and doubled that i'd take 14 percent a year every year <laughs> absolutely but, but i mean do you see the difference there i mean yeah. it's seven percent for what if you took every company and said that their return is one five hundredth mm-hmm. versus uh taking the cap weighted the cap weighted yeah yeah all right, so what's really driving this, though? Because if it's not earnings, it, guys, it's not. It's not. The The stock market never got to cheap last year, and it's not wildly expensive, like bubble right now when you look at forward PE, but it, it is, I would say it's expensive. Mm-hmm. It's not wildly so, but I would say it's expensive. So earnings haven't been driving this yet, and ultimately earnings will drive the market. That's it. it that is it. All Everything else is noise. So, but what's driven it in the short term? To me, everything changed. Everything changed 
when inflation data came down and the Fed started saying they were going to pause their interest rate hikes. And then they did. Now, they're saying they're going to be raising more throughout the rest of the year or a couple times this year. But to me, that felt like it it was, you know, what was it, the, the green flag on in uh, at the racetrack? You know, it's like, all right, go. Mm-hmm. As soon as that happened, it was like, okay, go. Yeah. I I question whether or not the markets are, are getting it right, but we'll see. I mean, ultimately, it, it's almost like the pause is being interpreted as a stop. Yeah. Like they're not going to pick back up, which would imply, you know, if, if we did have some sort of an economic slowdown or a pullback, um, that's usually what causes the, the Fed to start actually lowering, lowering interest rates. And if you just look at the interest rate environment, it is predicting the fact that, yeah, rates are going to be lower at some point here in the near future. Isn't that crazy? Let's just think about that. Interest rates, we, we had we had an individual come out and talk to our team of advisors the other day and about some investment uh, tools and whatnot. And it was sort of like laughable when he said, you think interest rates are going to be here next year? You know, and it's everyone is, ah, oh, interest rates are going to be lower. A year from now, oh, my goodness, they're going to be so much lower. They don't just lower out of good news. Yeah. Interest rates don't go down from good news. They don't. Right. They go down from terrible news. Bad, like the economy's in bad shape. We need to lower interest rates. If the economy's fine and everything's humming along, interest rates are going to stay right where they are, or go higher, or go higher. That's right. So I, I don't understand. The, either the bond markets are wrong, or the the stock market's wrong. It feels like. Yeah. How can they both be right? Uh, that's a tough environment to. To align, yeah, I think I've been doing this for 29 years this month, and I've never been as confused <laughs> as I am right now. Well, that'll happen when you when you print five trillion dollars in a couple months and stuff it down everyone's throat. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what'll happen. So inflation and the fact that the data suggests it's cooled mm-hmm. has really driven the markets. The rate hike b- being paused at mm-hmm. least that's driven the markets. I mean, what about uh, the debt ceiling issue? That also was happening about the same time inflation data was really showing that things cooled. And that also really led to a surge in the market, or at least helped with the surge in the market. I would I would say that's that's been a contributor as well. I, I agree. And that's, that is happening all the time in history. It, it's not the first time that Congress has played a game of chicken with the debt ceiling. Yep. And it just creates this cloud over the market. And then when they finally, in the last hour, get some sort of a deal worked out politically, then the markets, you know, breathe a, a breath of, of relief and they're off to the races again. I don't have the data in front of me, but I believe within a month after the stay, hey, we're not going to worry about the debt ceiling. Within a month, I think we borrowed another trillion. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was another trillion within a month. I don't know where it is exactly right now. And they they kicked the can down the road until right after the election. But yeah. before the you know, before the new term. So how how are they gonna figure anything out then? They won't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. guys, it's a disaster. Okay. Um the other thing that I would tell you that's driven the markets. When the Federal Reserve has to fight inflation, that's one of two mandates. They've got a they they're they're tasked with stable prices and maximum employment. Okay, which at times can be at odds with each other. 
when when prices have not been stable, they've got to get that under control, and that can mean cratering jobs or cratering the economy. Well, guys, the labor market has been unbelievably resilient. Yeah. Given what is supposed to be sort of a softer time in the markets, uh, it, it's the labor market's been pretty strong. And I think even though the economy's been potentially soft, that's been a sign of uh, of resilience. That's one of the factors because the, the rising interest rates were supposed to kind of tear down the labor market, and it's had almost no impact on the labor market that we can tell. Yeah. All right, so chance of a recession, and should that influence what you do with your portfolio? I've talked about the, the election a couple times. What does that t- normally mean? So what should you be doing with your money? We're going to we're gonna hit that as well as what are some of the other factors to look out for for this, you know, that could drive the markets for the upcoming year. So we've got that and more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What's likely going to be driving the markets moving forward, chance of a recession, upcoming election, those sorts of things. And and how does that impact you? What should you be doing with your money? We're helping with that and more right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at. We are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. Okay, guys, we've said inflation cooling and the fed then trying to or pausing the interest rate trying to slow that down uh the the interest rate hikes has really helped provide you could almost say a floor in the in the stock market maybe a trampoline um (laughs) and so what do you think is going to be driving the markets the rest of the year I think it's more of the same, personally. I, I think if inflation has been the theme over the past couple of years, you know, first criticism for the Fed that they were behind the eight ball, they they were behind schedule on doing battle with inflation, then, you know, are they ever going to win this? And now a sign that, oh, maybe there's some some good trends developing with inflation and even to the point where they could take a break from raising the, the interest rates. Well, Watching the inflation data, I think, is going to continue to be an important uh, indicator of what what are they going to do next, ultimately. Can they raise rates again or a couple more times this year, which is what they've sort of tried to indicate if inflation continues to come back down? I mean, we're, we're now, what, around 3% is what it's saying. Can they even raise rates? And what how would the market react? Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think. It seems to me as though they're going to continue to raise rates, it, and it feels like we're trying uh, a, 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 to solve the problem with tools that won't solve the problem. That's my humble opinion, and that's a different show altogether. So who knows? We'll see what happens. But the 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 increasing interest rates are all these things that they have to balance, right? Because if they raise rates too fast, and people realize, hey, I'm I'm getting point nothing on my savings and I could move my money out of my bank and get four or 5%. If that starts happening, I was just looking at the statistics at how many people have how much money earning absolutely nothing right now. That won't last forever. And as people wake up to that reality and begin to move their money out of the banks, especially the, the, 
some of these smaller regional banks could get really hurt. And then you look and you say, well, then what else? And what else? Well, if the there's a there's a whole bunch in the next six months of loans, commercial real estate loans that are going to need to be renewed. And if the if the people that own the real estate can't make those deals work and they give those properties back to the banks, banks don't want to own real estate. So, I mean, who knows what is possible? And so I think this is this is where and I know that we're, we're going to talk about this in the next segment, but this is where you're like, none of this really makes complete and total sense. And I can I can listen to a smart guy and be persuaded that his opinion is right. And this guy and that guy and listen, listen, listen. OK, um, but really, it needs to be based on principles. Yes. How in the world do I make my decisions? Because you listen to someone, and you're like, wow, that's going that is going to happen. Well, it doesn't happen or. The people that were right about the great financial crisis were talking about it in 2006 and seven, mm-hmm. way before it actually way came before to it, it it actually happened. And you would make the case that it, you know the economists have predicted you know 13 of the last four recessions. Mm-hmm. So so who do you listen to? When do you listen to them? And and what do you do with what you hear? I don't see how they raise interest rates. I'm and this isn't a hot take, so don't you know clip this and send it back to me after they do. I just don't see how they do. I think they need to because it the asset bubble hasn't burst, and and if they don't raise interest rates more, the asset bubble is going to get worse. I mean, already, guys. So, twenty twenty two was the worst year in the bond index ever, the worst year in bonds in 100 years or so. It was the seventh worst year in the stock market in 100 years. So this is not, it's a, it's a feature of investing, but it wasn't fun. And, you know, there was a decent amount of panic by a lot of people. Lots of people saying, I'm going to stop investing my 401k. Or when I invest, I'm just putting it into cash because I, I, I don't trust this thing. And how quickly we've turned. I've spent a lot of time on the road recently with travel baseball. Saw my first billboard for uh, trading stocks is easy. Click here. Hmm. How would have that gone over last year? <laughs> <laughs> that would have not. I mean, no one would have done that. And yet that's sort of normal. And everyone's talking euphoria. And I just the, the asset bubble has not burst. The asset bubble is still there and it's still being inflated. I just don't see how they raise rates. I just don't. Uh, to me, that is why I, I think they're going to need to as well. Uh, yeah. I, I know that you're saying, hey, I don't think they're going to, but I but think they need, they need to. to. Yeah. And it is because every time there's any kind of positive change in direction, it, it feels like this is just anecdotal evidence, just kind of observation that people are quickly right back to optimism and spending and same old uh, behaviors that you would tip- typically see in a strong economy. It's like the the horses still want to run, you know, like we, we haven't calmed down or slowed down the economy enough um, to begin lowering interest rates. It, it would be recession type um, news or, or data that would cause them to lower rates. I don't see them staying put because that, again, it's, it's like staying put is just 
um, giving the the what'd you say the green flag at the yeah. at NASCAR or something to say hey go 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 right right um, and and that can't keep on continuing. So what are your thoughts on the recession? Recession risk at the beginning of the year seemed pretty pretty high. Uh, just about every big Wall Street firm is saying ah, recession risk has come down. I wonder if it's because. I don't. I wish I could give credit to whoever said this. I, I don't even know where I heard this term, but the idea of a rolling recession, uh, you know, c- kind of like rolling blackouts uh, mm-hmm. during, um, I don't know, California's heat wave or something, yeah. you know, um, th- this concept that it's like there's a recession coming to an industry near you sometime soon, <laughs> right? And I, I don't know, like there are some industries that are hurting, right now like they are feeling it partly because you compare today's um environment to what you know the the record all-time historical highs that maybe they enjoyed a couple years ago so coming back down to earth and then also going into recession feels even more dramatic for some industries but the the question is are are they going to kind of cycle through slowly over time that's an interesting concept and Certainly, there are industries that you could make the argument they're that's where they're at. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I think ultimately the Fed, with raising rates, is pushing the economy towards slowness, towards a recession. I don't know. It does feel like the there's been some resiliency here. So, Josh, I would agree that maybe there are pockets that would definitely say, "Oh, recession." RV, RV, yeah, we're in a recession, but we're really not. There's other areas that are that are. Very hot. Yeah, I, th- I think stagflation is more. And again, that's a that's a that's another show. But I mean, there, you you just get into this morass where wages are not keeping up with prices. I mean, uh, <laughs> my wife just went to Mission Barbecue and picked up two pounds of brisket because we were having some some guests over. It's fifty five bucks. Yeah, I yeah I Dude, just. Two pounds of brisk, <laughs> like but a, it's it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, oh, it, yeah, <laughs> it is pretty special. So but um, I'm telling you, things are not getting cheaper. No, and and that's a reminder: inflation doesn't go away when prices go back to where they were. I wish that's how it worked. That seems logical. No, inflation goes away when those when that brisket costs only fifty one dollars next year. Right or fifty-two dollars. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to go back down to thirty-five. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think one of the reasons why also it it's unclear whether or not are we in a recession. It, maybe we're insulated from it. Is just simply, if you were to lose your job because of recession, there's still another job waiting for you right now. Yeah. Job openings are kind of masking some of this as well. Yep. All right. So risk of recession still there, a, a little bit lower. What about what sort of impact could another very fierce and contentious, uh, I'm sure, presidential election coming up next year? What does that mean? What could that mean for the markets? And ultimately, what should you be doing right now with your investments? We've got that more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you listen to podcasts, every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcasts wherever you listen. Search the Wise Money Show, subscribe or follow whatever platform, uh, the subscribe or follow the show. And 
rate the show as well. That's helpful feedback for us. We appreciate that. All right, it's getting down to, you know, we've been talking about the markets and everything, but ultimately it's about it's about investor behavior, not investor return. It's it's about investor behavior. So what should you be doing about it? But as we sort of wade into that, I also want to talk about the election. And we're probably just we're probably touched too early talking about it, but that's all you're going to be thinking about come the fourth quarter and certainly all of next year is well, should I keep investing? You know, we've got this election and things are pretty polarized. They've been polarized for a while. And what if this and what if that and blah, blah, blah is now a good time to invest. There is the presidential election cycle and the presidential election theory. And I'll just um, give you the cliff notes. Every year of a president's term, when you average it out, it's a good time to invest. <laughs> it's a good time to invest. Well, what about if it's blue? Yeah, it's a good time to invest. If it's red, yeah, good time to invest. So I'll spare you that right now. If you were to look at, well, which of the years is normally the best year? It's the third year. It's this year, hmm. right now. By a landslide, actually. On average, about 16% positive return uh, in the third year. Um, but what about that election year? What about that fourth year? I mean, certainly that one with all the uncertainty. I mean, that one's, uh, that one's bad. Nope. <laughs> nope. On average, about 7% for right. a new president on average, about 12. And so, so, so this is why you have to go back to principled investing because I was talking, uh, with my son, Joshua last night, and he went to a conference in Chicago um, there's a company that we work with called Dimensional Advisors and DFA Funds. And he came back and he was talking about how really the goodness that that comes from an investment strategy comes in a 20-year swath. Sure. So it's not, hey, I've got a good idea, a good strategy. I'm going to put the money in today, and by the end of the year – I'm going to recognize the goodness of my strategy. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. no, I'm going to chart a course and over the next 20 years, because it's it's principle-based investing, or they have a fancier term for that. Uh, what's what's DFA's tagline? Something based investing. Evidence-based investing. Evidence-based investing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it's a it's a it's a 20-year swath. So the re- reality is So you're saying I can't eat healthy this morning and run this morning and be healthy by dinner? That's correct. That you, I have you, to do those yeah, healthy unless habits. You woke up you have healthy. to do those ha- healthy habits <laughs> every day every for a day. long time in At, order to receive the benefits. Right. Yeah. Because investing the same way. Finance is the same it, way. And and so I would I would encourage you if you're listening to uh this show, ignore the everything up until now and just know that you need to have a strategy that will work over the long term mm-hmm. and apply it to your financial life. That's all you need to know. Because who knows who's going to get elected? Um, if you're a fiscal conservative, you look and it was both parties that raised the debt ceiling, and they're they're everyone's guilty. Yeah. So if you want to talk about politics, I don't. This isn't a show about politics, and so we're, we're we don't have. And uh, uh, we have lots of opinions, but not for this show. So what would you do if an election is coming up? And I've had people, smart people um, with strong conviction saying, hey, if this person gets elected, 
I can't, I don't know how I will be able to go on. And I certainly don't see our economy moving forward. Mm -hmm. Get me out of the stock market. And to a person, to a time, it's been a mistake. Yep. Yeah. And that's hard to hear, but that is history. That is the truth. And, And that's what we see every single presidential election, right? If your strategy will only work if your team's jersey is hanging in the White House, then, boy, you're, you're going to have stretches of time where you just feel like nothing's working or nothing could possibly work, and it is wrong. And it's the long-term strategy that survives um, the red and blue stretches of time, yeah. as, as you were referring to. So what should you do? What, what are the action items right now in your portfolio? Josh, I know you say you give yourself license to change investments or tune into your portfolio twice a year, around July and around January. So what do you do right now? Yeah, to me, when the market, like in a year like this, we, we talked at the beginning of this show about how not all areas of the investment world are performing the same way. Some are booming, some are kind of lagging. There's even some that are down. And in an environment like this, where there's such range of performance, your portfolio can get out of balance. The good stuff has gotten to be a bigger portion of the pie, and the things that are lagging behind, they, um, on a relative basis, they seem like a smaller portion of the, the portfolio right now. And what is one of the, it's one of the oldest adages of investing that you want to buy low and sell high. So the stuff that has grown so much and has become a bigger portion of the portfolio, rebalancing means skimming some of the gains off of that area and buying the things that are still cheap or that are maybe even down in value right now. It's, again, one of the most disciplined things that you can do. And it's so counterintuitive because what's your gut telling you? I need to buy. I wish I had owned more of that good stuff that's running so well right now. Um, so I better buy more now while, while I still can. But the, the opposite may be true. Knowing what is the right mix of investments, what's the recipe that you should be following so that over the long haul, over your long goals that you're trying to achieve, you have the best shot at achieving them. Um, that recipe you want to be kind of snapping back to periodically because you can get out of alignment with it. Well, I, I think not just that, but I'd actually take it w- one step further. Rebalancing back to where you should be, I would agree. If you stayed where you should be, I think it was it was very tempting through 2022 and even at the end to say, well, I should be taking a certain level of risk. I just don't like the results of that, so I'm going to reduce my risk. And now that that hasn't worked out for you and the risky stuff that you got out of has come back, I think there is a tendency to overcorrect, to now say, well, let's just, for example, supposed to have 70% in stocks. I really didn't like that. I moved that down to 30. Well, shoot, now I need to play catch up. I've got to move it up to 90 or 100. And I would argue that is a, that's a big risk. You need to work with your certified financial planner. What is the right recipe for you? Not the perfect recipe. The perfect recipe is the one that finds in that diversified portfolio the winner every period and and predicts that perfectly. That's not possible. It's right. not possible. So work with your CFP based on your goals and your financial plan. What is the right risk level for you? Don't overcorrect 
and just get back to that point in a balanced way. And the problem is right now, so the so the S&P 500, let's go on a little journey. January 3, 2022, the S&P 500 is at 4,800, okay? I know we're not supposed to talk about numbers but on the radio, but let's do it. It goes from 4,800 to to. In October of last year, 3,600. So that's a meaningful 1,200 points down. Mm-hmm. From January 22 to October 22. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So then what people say is, okay, I need to go from 70% equities to 30% equities. Because the only way I can see it going when it's gone down 1,200 points. It, further down. 1,200 points more in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So... I trim back my equities positions and I'm I'm doing this stuff to try and respond. Well, then I watch it go from 2200 to 4500 and now I'm saying now I've got the confidence to get back into the stock market. And this is what the Dalbar studies say. This is why the Vanguard studies say it, it it's it's 300 basis points of alpha to work with a financial advisor. This is why you want to have someone giving you the, the the plan, the path, and the confidence to stay on it. And if you are lacking that confidence, our, our, our strong, strong, strong conviction is that you need multiple strategies. Diversification alone can fail during times when you need it the most. And so consider adding strategies like hedging right now with, oh gosh, we've got all these challenges still. Can't believe the market is back up to where where it is right now. And how do I protect against that downturn? Bonds might not do it, blah, blah, blah. Look at hedging. Look at some other strategies as well. Work with your CFP on that. All right. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. I have some sort of hairball. Mm. Uh, it's caught in my throat. <laughs> Shouldn't have been grooming myself this morning. <laughs> Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.